series here the last few weeks that I've been teaching since uh, the 1st of January, uh, talking about the church and talking about uh, faith community fellowship in particular when we can. Um, Our mission, our stated mission at faith community is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ for the good of our community and the sake of the world. That's how we say it. Christ commissioned um, us in Matthew 28 uh, to make disciples. Uh, He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And in order for us to make disciples, then first of all, each of us must be disciples. So today I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be a disciple. And to help kind of kick this off, I've asked my good friend, Erwin McManus, uh, to share a few. Erwin's one of my favorite speakers and writers and just... uh, couple thoughts from him on video. Watch this. I think deeper than being a boy <coughs> generation, we're, we're a voyeuristic generation. We've become accustomed to watching life happen rather than living it. And so if we want to be heroic, we just pick up a, a copy of Braveheart. If we want to have a, a great love affair, we just pick up a You've Got Mail or Sleeping in Seattle or whatever we might choose. And, you know, if we want mystery or adventure, uh, we pick up Lord of the Rings, or uh, we pick up The Matrix, and and the reality is that it's it's worse than being bored. We're we're actually trapped within a delusion. We've become voyeurs, and when we watch life happen, we actually conclude that we're actually living life rather than simply just observing it. What's well, adventure without risk? We're able to experience the greatest wars, the greatest victories, the greatest battles, the greatest loves, and we never have to leave our seat, and we can eat our popcorn and drink our coke. And we have uh, been convinced that this is the best that life has to offer. I mean, that's why we pay our eight bucks to go see that movie. It's because it's better than our lives. And the challenge, or uh, maybe even the calling that God has for us, is that we can live a life more wonderful, more powerful than anything we could observe. I do think that there are people who are afraid that God may ask them to do something bigger than themselves. And they should be afraid, very, very afraid. Because God essentially um, calls us to live a life bigger than ourselves. And, and frankly, this is a pretty good point for a person to decide, do I really want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, I, I think the real defining issue of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ isn't so much, do I want to go to heaven or not go to hell? Uh, I think it's really, um, am I willing to let God lift me out of my subpar existence to live a life that only can be lived with his presence and power. Uh, I think that is a practical reality. Uh, I'm convinced that our imagination is one of the evidences that we've been created in the image of God. And and yet, as expansive as our imagination is, I mean, no borders, no boundaries. I am uh, strong in my imagination. I can jump like Michael Jordan. I can run like, you know, uh, Superman. I have unlimited capacity in my imagination. And yet, the dreams of God for my life are bigger than my imagination. God tells us to call on him and he will show us stuff that will blow our minds, that is beyond our our comprehension, our imagination. And he would do more for us than we could ever ask or imagine. The reality is that God dreams for you and me is bigger than the life we can even imagine for ourselves. So there's, there's there's a dilemma that we all are faced with when we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I know the, the whole idea of, of being a disciple 
uh, is a little bit threatening when we really get serious about it. And it, it bothers me sometimes like it bothers you or it will bother you at some point when you get your mind around because there's something on the inside of me, like I'm sure there's something on the inside of you that wants to say, no, wait a minute, just wait a minute, let me clarify something. Let me, I got a question, Jesus. Why can't we just be, why can't we just be children of God? Why, don't we, why can't we just be children of God? Why do we have to be, why are you calling us to be disciples of Jesus when I'm perfectly content being a child of God? There's something on the inside of me that wants to say, look, why can't we all just kind of love each other and come to church and kind of sing those good songs and, and go out to lunch and do our jobs and, you know, raise our families and have some social events and just kind of, you know, let's all get along and let's all love each other and let's just be God's happy family. Let's just be God's children. Why all this talk about being a disciple and making disciples? And honestly, that's where most Christians get stuck. We love Jesus, and we kind of got our fire insurance, you know. We, we're, we're pretty sure we're going to heaven when we die, and we want, you know, want him to kind of oversee everything from afar and pat us on the back and, and, and bless us and, and sort of the, the grandfather in the sky thing. And when we die, we'll see him, and it'll all be great. But the problem with that is Christ has called us to be disciples and then to make disciples, not simply to settle back and be content with simply being children of God. There's something bigger. There's something more intense. And to be honest, I struggle like you do. It's threatening. It's threatening when you think about moving from the position of simply, you know, being God's child to becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because becoming a child of God costs you nothing. But becoming a disciple of Jesus could cost you a great deal. And so consequently... People face that dilemma, and they opt out. They're like, no, 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 I'm just, I'm happy to be a church member, and I'll throw a few dollars in the box there every now and then, and I might even help out here and there, but don't call on me to be, a, you know, an all-inclusive, full-scale commitment to Christ kind of deal. That's not who I am and what I think I want to do. So don't, don't call on me to be a disciple. I'm, I'm really happy being a church member. And the thing that we tend to forget and that maybe we don't know in the first place is that God has called us to something bigger than ourselves. And that God has called you, as much as you might resist that, and God's called me to be a part of something bigger than my little family and bigger than my little circle of friends, that God has called us in such a way that you and I have the opportunity to have our lives count for eternity. But it only happens when we step out of our complacency and out of our comfort zone and out of our routine of simply being a child of God and having a few good friends and let's have a good time and let's not push ourselves to do anything uncomfortable. You know, I won't push you if you don't push me. And when we move into that scary, that threatening, that sacrificial thing where we become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a game changer. And granted, there are lots of good causes and lots of you know, people are like, well, why do you have to be so serious about this? I mean, I believe, but why do you have to be so intense about this? Why do you have to be so serious about it all the time? Why are you always harping on this? Aren't there just some good things we can be a part of? Yeah, there are lots of good causes. There are lots of uh, worthy things, I guess. You know, go raise your family. Raise your children to be socially responsible people. That's a great cause, you know. Being a nice person and a kind person where others are better off because they knew you, that's a good cause. And being active in such a way that when you die, the world's a better place, that's a good cause. And being involved in church and in this and that at church, that's a worthy cause. The problem is this. If your focus in life stops at any of those things, those are all good things. Those are things that we should all be involved in. 
But if that's as far as we go in our commitment to Christ, if that's as far as you go in terms of uh, your commitment to the Lord, then you sort of uh, function like the room attendant on the Titanic. You know, you did a good job of keeping people comfortable along the way, but you did nothing to impact the outcome of the journey. People were more comfortable and felt better about themselves along the way maybe because of your nice, neat, tidy life, but you missed an opportunity and you shirked your responsibility to impact the outcome of the journey, and that is what Jesus has called us to do. So let's talk about what is a disciple. I touched on this a few weeks ago. I'm going to go a little bit deeper today. Um, let me kind of re- repeat the definition I gave you a couple weeks ago, and we're going to talk about this dilemma. A disciple is two things first. A disciple is a learner, and a disciple is a follower. A disciple of Christ is a person who learns from Christ, who follows Christ. A disciple of Christ is a person who asks a couple of questions. The disciple asks, what do you want me to know, and where do you want me to go? What is it that I need to know, Lord? A, a disciple is a person who understands that, that this book is the manual for living. This is, this is the all-inclusive soul authority right here. It's a, it, the disciple is a person who understands that we never stop learning. We never uh, get to the place where, you know, we've got it all figured out. And, and, by the way, learning doesn't depend on who's preaching on a given Sunday and what videos you watch and what internet this and podcast something else. Learning is an ongoing thing between us and our Savior. So a disciple's a learner. Lord, I want, I want you to teach me. I want you to teach me. Teach me through the pastor if you must. Teach me through my small group interaction. Teach me through my Bible study group. Teach me through an accountability relationship. Teach me through the books that I'm reading. Teach me through my quiet time. Just, just teach me, Lord. I want you to speak to me in whatever way that you choose to speak to me. Teach me through my husband. Teach me through my wife. Teach me through my parents. Teach me through my children. A disciple is a learner. Lord, what do I need to know? And a disciple is a follower. Where do you need me to go? Lord, where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to spend my uh, time? Who do you want me to spend my time with? Where is it that you want my family to head? What, What do you want me to do for school? And what career choice do you want me to make here and there? And where do you want me to go? So a disciple is a learner and a follower. Then a disciple is something else. We haven't really talked about this. A disciple is a leader. Because a disciple is a person who comes to a point at some point in their life where they realize that God has something for them to give to someone else. It's not enough to just absorb, to just absorb knowledge and just take notes and to come on Sunday and get some good feeling warm fuzzies from being with church people. At some time, the disciple has to come to the point where they understand that God is bringing people in and through their lives for the specific purpose of them pouring out their lives into someone else. Not because they're better than somebody else, not because they're smarter than everybody else, not because they're holier than anybody, but because they realize that's just how the body of Christ works. So a disciple is a learner, a disciple is a follower, and a disciple is a leader. Here's the dilemma. If you have your Bible with me, uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bible or your your Bible app. Because here's the dilemma. This is where Jesus talks about this dilemma of discipleship. And he states it better than anybody else because he understood exactly what we would be facing, what he was calling us to. The dilemma of discipleship is this. The discipleship costs you something. It costs you something. So a little context for these verses before we read them. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus in his characteristic way has just dropped a bomb on his disciples. He, He says, men, the good news is these, uh, these three years have been great. 
this time we've had together, we've had some great experiences, and uh, the truth has been declared, and you, you know, you, you've been set on a new direction. That's awesome. These last three years have been great. And the good news is that these three years together are going to culminate in my death. Yeah, all right. Let, let's go get them. Yeah, I know you gave up your family and your friends and your business and, and everything in your future to follow, but let me just sort of tell you where we're headed. First of all, you need to know that I'm going to be killed. And that came as a shock because he was the Messiah. They saw him as king. He was going to be, he's supposed to be the king. He's supposed to redeem Israel here. Of course, he also threw in that I'll be resurrected, but they missed that part. They're just focused on killed. You mean, you mean we gave up all this to follow you, and now you're telling us you're going to be killed? And then he says this to them, probably one of the most threatening verses for all of us. This is Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You've heard this before probably. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And you've heard me say this. When we use the word cross, we think of a, like a piece of jewelry. We think of a couple pieces of wood with a light on it. You know, a cross is something we may see in a movie about Jesus. Um, you know, in, in that scene where there's a perfect, perfectly constructed cross and it's perfectly lit from the back and, and the sky is like perfect and the music comes up and they cast this perfect shadow. And it's, you know what I'm saying? Like, we've just got this perfect image. <clears throat> but when they heard the word cross, he says, take up your cross daily. <clears throat> They'd seen that. They'd seen the physical abuse and torture. They'd smelled that smell of death. They'd seen this firsthand because crucifixions weren't done in private. They were done very publicly. They'd seen men destined to die carrying their cross. This meant something to them. And Jesus says to them, let me just lay it on the line for you. If you're going to be my follower, understand. Not if you're going to be my child. That's That's a faith thing. That's a completely different conversation. But if you're going to be my follower, if you're going to come after me, then you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It was for this very reason, it was this concept that caused so many of those who had followed him up to this point to say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this is the first we're hearing of this Jesus. If that's what this is about, then I guess we've had enough. It's been great. Free meals have been good. The, the magic show has been pretty cool too. Some of the teaching has been a little weird, but whatever. We've seen enough. We believe. We believe you're the Messiah, but don't ask us to follow. Because this sounds like sacrifice to us. Do you know what it means to deny yourself? This is not a mystical thing. It's, nothing about the, it's not about the old man and the new man. It's nothing like that. Denying yourself is, is a, a simple concept. It's not easy, but it's a simple concept. When your desires and God's desires conflict, you go with what God wants. That's what it means to deny yourself. That when Jesus asks for A and you want B, you choose A. When Jesus comes along and you want to go into this partnership, you know, I want to take a risk and go into business, and, but that's not what he wants for you right now, then you make a financial sacrifice and you do what he wants you to do. And when you say, God, this is the person I want to date, this is the person I would hope to marry, they don't know that yet, but I'm pretty sure this is the one, and God says, that's not the person I want you to marry, it's not even the person I want you to date, then you say no to that relationship. You make an emotional sacrifice. You find a, a group of people and who, who you want to accept you, and they, you want their approval, and you want to fit in with them, and God's like, well, that's not the group I have for you. And you're like, yes, God, 
and you make relational sacrifices. And you say, I want pleasure. And God says, well, I want self-control for you. And you say, I want to be entertained. And God says, I want you to renew your mind. And you say, I want to talk to, you know, to people about this situation or that situation. I want to share what I've heard because it's some really good information. It's not gossip. It's really so we can pray more effectively. Uh, and God's like, no, I want you to be quiet right now and listen to me. I want you to be quiet. Here's an idea. Be helpful. And on and on we can go. And being a follower of Jesus Christ is not about simply believing something. It's about doing something. And it's not simply about believing that something happened a long time ago. It's about daily. He says it's about the daily wrestling with this dilemma of here's what I want and here's what God wants. And to be a follower of Jesus and to be his disciple, I have to choose what God wants over what I want. And to deny yourself isn't to refrain from those things that you enjoy necessarily. To deny yourself is to recognize that when there's a conflict between what you desire and what Christ desires for you, you go with what Christ desires for you daily. So let's face it. It's kind of threatening stuff. And I'll tell you why it's threatening. Because he doesn't even tell us what he's going to ask us ahead of time. He doesn't even give us a glimpse of that. He says, I want you to commit to me that you will follow me no matter what I ask. You're like, well, Lord, uh, that, that, just to be fair, what are you going to ask? I'm like, well, I'm not telling you that. Well, what exactly does that mean for me and my family? Well, I'm not telling you that right now. What does that mean for my career? Well, you don't need to know that right now. How much money can I make and still follow you? Well, we're not talking about that right now. What does this do then to my plans for my education and my career? And won't you give us any hints? And it's like, no, because I want you to be a follower. And if you're going to be a follower, you have to trust me. And you have to decide once and for all and then daily to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Let's be perfectly honest. This is why most Christians aren't disciples. Can you be a Christian and not a disciple? Absolutely. You can put your trust in Christ, a sufficient payment for your sin, and die and go straight to heaven and, and, and never be a disciple of Jesus Christ because salvation's free, but discipleship's going to cost you something. That's why we have neat little churches with people pleasers and everybody loves everybody and they all get along and they have their little causes and everybody's happy and they never have any conflict and everything's wonderful. But they're not fulfilling the commission of Jesus, this everyday great commission. And they mean well and they've got some great causes and they've got some great resources usually, but they've missed the main thing. And Jesus is saying to us, I haven't called you to just be a church member. I haven't called you to just be a good father and a good husband. I haven't called you just to be a good mother and a good wife. And though that's part of it, I haven't called you to make people feel good about themselves, and I haven't called you to sit in committee meetings and talk about stuff. I've called you to be my disciples. And if you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. And you're thinking, well, who in their right mind would do that? And Jesus, I think, knew that we would think that. And in the next few verses, he's like, let me go ahead and give you the big picture, because there's more to it than this. Listen to what he says in the next verse, verse 24. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. This is one of the most confusing things I think Jesus ever said. Uh, It took me a long time to get to where I think I understand it, but here's what I think Jesus is saying. Because uh, what he does in the next three verses, he says, now, you know, I know it sounds terrible, it sounds ridiculous that anybody would follow me if that's the promise, but uh, I'm not going to tell you, you know, what's going to happen, but you have to deny yourself and take up your cross every day. But let me give you the big picture. If you refuse to follow me, he's talking to believers, He's talking to people who believe that he was the Messiah and the Son of God. He said, if you refuse to follow me, then ultimately you lose your life. Now, he wasn't talking about your physical life. 
Because he says, if you give up your life for me, you save it. And all those people died physically. So he's not talking about physical stuff. Here's what he's saying. He says, when you say, Lord Jesus, no. No, that's not for me. Great for other people. Yay for them. But no, that's too much. That, you're asking too much for me. It's too serious. It's too intense. Too narrow. Too out of sync with you know, society and everybody that I know. It's too much of a sacrifice. So, Lord Jesus, in a word, no. Then in essence, what you're saying is that life for me is not about doing the will of God. Life for me is about these things in life. It's about this relationship. Life for me is about these experiences. Life for me is about achievement and acceptance and popularity and image and entertainment and comfort. So, Lord, if I can just be honest, I'm afraid that if I follow you, I'm going to miss out on what is life to me. Haven't you felt that at times? Oh, it's easy to point to teenagers and college students and young adults and say, oh, yeah, that's, that's their struggle. But let's be honest. Well, the problem with following Jesus, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on some good stuff. I'm afraid if I say yes to God, then when I look back on my life, I'm going to go, oh, darn, I missed out on that. I didn't have that experience, and I never achieved this, and I never accumulated that, and I didn't get to do this, and I didn't get to do that, and I never accomplished something else, and I'm afraid I'm going to miss out on something. So Jesus says to us in this verse, once you choose to say no to me because you're afraid that you're going to miss out on what is life to you, then in essence what you're saying is life is this experience. Life is this income. Life is this relationship. Life is this habit, this addiction, this image, this lower standard. This is what my life is all about. And in your effort, he says, to work hard at not missing out on life, guess what? Yeah, you're right. You're going to miss out on life. As you work hard to save yourself from missing out on what you think life is about, you're going to miss out on what life is about. Because it's like he says to me, he says, the things that you're after, Todd, and the thing that you're after, believer, the thing that makes life life, is not found in these things that we focus on. He says, it's found in me. And you're going to come to a point, if you set me aside, you're going to come to a point that you realize, man, this is not what life is all about. The disaster of refusing to deny yourself is that you lose your life. And you get one shot. You only get so much time. And your evaluation at the end of that time would be, oh, I chased something, but it wasn't even, turns out, wasn't even what life was about. So this is what Jesus has said. That it came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So that what you're after is what he's after. And he's saying, I'm the way to it. And ultimately, I am life. You see, and I know I'm talking to believers this morning. There's something in all, inside all of us that's like, Lord, if I just sign like a blank check. I know that's kind of an, an outdated uh, analogy anymore. But uh, if I just sign a blank check or if I give you the, my debit card and my PIN number uh, to my life, I just hand that to you, I'm going to miss out on something. And Jesus would say, no, if, if you, if, it's when you turn your back on me and refuse to follow me that you're going to miss out. Because no amount of money and no amount of pleasure and no amount of power, no amount of popularity and no amount of acceptance, no amount of anything can do for you what you need to have done for you to fulfill you. And here's why. Because God has called you and created you and designed you and assigned you a specific purpose. And until the purpose of your life, the purpose that you choose for your life, 
lines up with God's purpose for your life, the conclusion you will come to in every area of your life is that I'm missing it. I'm missing. I'm missing something here. There's something that's not connecting. And Jesus says, yeah, because I came to give you purpose. And it's only when you follow me that you'll experience real life and purpose. Everything else is a substitute. And it's kind of weird because it seems like a contradiction, but... um, And here's why, because what we're saying is this, and we all resist this, all of us resist this at some point. It's because he's saying that by saying no, by me saying no to Todd, that Todd will be fulfilled, that doesn't make any sense to me. He's saying that by denying Todd, Todd will be happier? That doesn't make sense to me. That by saying yes to what Todd wants, Todd will be unhappy. What? This sounds like a contradiction, Jesus. This is not, I'm not following your, your logic at all. And the reason it sounds like a contradiction is that we have yet to grasp the fact that every single one of us was designed with a purpose in mind. And until our purpose lines up with God's purpose, we are going to just sense in our gut purposelessness and emptiness. And that's why Jesus said, I've come so that you can have life, you can have it abundantly. And I I know it's difficult. I know it sounds ridiculous to tell you to sign a blank check and hand it over to me before I even tell you what I want you to do. But he would say to us today, the option is this. In your attempt to save your life, you're going to lose it because I am life. Then he goes on, verse 25. Here's the best case scenario. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit the very self? He says, okay, let's just, let's just paint a picture. Let's pretend here you are, you're a Christian, you look at this denial of self thing, and that's too hard, just too much. It's good for some people, and we admire it when, when we see it in people. But for me, a little too much, Jesus. It's a little too threatening, a little too serious, a little too uncomfortable. And you're like, so Jesus, you know, really, in a word, no. I mean, I believe in you, and I want to, I wanna, you know, come to church and sing the songs and feel good and talk to some people, and maybe I'll even help you out some, but I'm not going to give you my whole life. And it's like Jesus saying, okay, I'll play along. So you say no to me. Let's say whatever it is that you pursue as a substitute, that you're extremely successful at it. If your thing is a business, your profits are through the roof. If your thing is a relationship, you just have an awesome relationship that people, uh, you know, admire. If your thing is popularity and image, everybody you know thinks you're cool. That whatever it is that you're after, let's just pretend you are extremely successful at that. He says, what good is all that success if in the process you lose yourself? What's it mean, lose yourself? Here's what he's talking about. Something I've seen and something that probably some of you have seen and experienced. So when a, when a man or a woman or a teenager who's a believer says, you know, God, this is too hard. It's too narrow. It's too out of sync with what's going on. When a man or a woman or a teenager turns their back on the will of God for their life, they begin to pursue those things that they say make up life. That this is what life is all about for me. And in that, they change in the process. You ever seen that? I've seen that. And what Jesus says is this, that in route to these things, you change. And you become the very person you swore you'd never be. And you become the kind of husband that you always criticized. You become the kind of wife that you thought, well, I would never be that way. You become the kind of businessman, the kind of employee that you've always carried some disrespect for because in the pursuit of these things, you lose yourself. You lose yourself somewhere in the process and you come to the end of that process and you think, "How, how did I get this way? He says, best case scenario, even if you're successful and all those things that you think make up life, something happens in here. 
and you become the kind of person that you swore you'd never be. Ever seen that happen to somebody? They change. And you meet them five years later or ten years later. They're not the person you remember them to be. That's because Jesus said in the pursuit of these things that you think make up life, in rejecting my invitation to follow me, you forfeit yourself. You know who this applies to? Um, all of us. <laughs> You're like, oh, no, I'm too far down the path. Well, okay, let me, let me just talk to, the, let me talk to the people in the room when they're mid-20s and 30s. So the rest of you are off the hook for a second. Funky, listen up. Here, <laughs> here you are, you know, you got this life, it's kind, of, it's kind of all in front of you, and you got these, some of you got these young families, and, and you're like a lot of people, it all looks good, but you're not really happy, you're not really content, maybe the marriage thing isn't exactly uh, what it should be, not what you dreamed it would be, in the back of your mind, you're sure you're going to get there someday, you know, if I could only, if I could only, if I could only, and please, Lord, don't stop me, you know, I know you're, gonna, I know you're not going to bless this decision, but if you could, if we, let's, just, let's just call it a truce, because I'm going to go to church, and I'll be involved in this and that, and I'll throw some money your way every once in a while, and, and, and you know, here's what you think, and here's what you believe, and in time, you know, life can be for you what you've always wanted it to be, but you're not there yet, give it some time, a little bit of success, it's going to be all right. And Jesus says, there's the bottom line. See, there's, there's the problem. If you, even if you attain what you choose to attain in the process, you lose yourself and you become a person you never intended to be. So he says, I'm offering you abundant life. I'm offering not only to bless your endeavors, but to change you on the inside so you can become on the inside everything you ever wanted to be. Look at verse 26. He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What's that mean? What he's saying is this, that when you and I as Christians decide, well, I'll just be a church member and I'll just be a child of God and I'll sing some songs and feel good about that, I'll let other people be disciples. When the pursuit of my life is something other than what God wants me to pursue, then essentially, do you know what you're saying to God? You'd never come right out and say this because you're a good Christian, but you're saying, God, I know you got this plan, and I'm, I'm, but I, I really think I'm better than that. I think I'm capable of so much more than, than what you're showing me is your plan. I'm certainly more important than that. I mean, I'm sure this is fine for other people, and I'm sure this is a good cause, and I'm sure that, you know, like, like in the church, I was talking about kids. I'm sure ministry to kids is worthwhile, and, you know, I mean, I'm always bragging to people about our wonderful children's ministry, and I'm sure that, you know, serving at Lowe's and Fishes is important. I'm sure that Relay for Life thing that they do and the Guatemala thing, that's all nice, but I recognize that there's, there's something better for me because there's something bigger. There's something that's more important for me to do, you know, right now. Uh, there's something more significant for me uh, to focus my attention and energies on right now. So, so that's all great, but in a word... Uh, Jesus, no. And Jesus says, if that's your attitude, if that's your response, if you're embarrassed or if you're ashamed or somehow you've got another agenda, if, he says, if my plan isn't good enough for you, if you're embarrassed of that, if you're ashamed of me, then when you stand before God, then I can't help but be a little bit embarrassed for you. You know, it's like, oh, Heavenly Father, this is, uh, this is Fred. Fred was kind of embarrassed about me, and now I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you that. So uh, Fred's really embarrassed now, so here he is, you know. He's going to think about that. 
that our Savior who died for us would be ashamed of us. See the trade-off? You see what we're saying to God? You know, like, God, it's a, it's a good thing, you know, that you sent Jesus to die and you gave us a commission, all that good stuff, and I love, you know, being at church and hearing about that and, and celebrating what other people are doing and, and singing songs about it. It's all great. And I, but I, really, my goal kind of is I just don't want to go to hell. That's kind of my deal right now. So if we can just take care of that one, that'd be great. And I kind of want you to help me sometimes when I need to call you. So I got the hotline thing ready to go. I got you on my speed dial. But that's really all I want to be a part of right now because I've got some other stuff and it's really important for me right now. And I think Jesus would say, if that's your attitude now, then that'll be my attitude about you later. And it's hard to get our minds around that. You know what we discover in this? That not only do you lose your life, not only do you lose yourself, but you lose your reward. And yeah, you'll go to heaven, you'll stand before God. This is not a heaven or hell conversation. But God reserves his reward, his places of honor in his kingdom for disciples. Let me tell you why I'm preaching this sermon. Because some of you are sitting next to some disciples. Some of you are sitting near people whose lives I've described. They, they come from all walks of life, all different careers, all different family backgrounds. They're people who have jobs and they have mortgages and they're just as busy as any of you and they have all the responsibilities and all the way to the world just like you do and their families aren't picture perfect, but you know what? The priority of their life is following Jesus. You're surrounded by people like that in this room. And when I think about our church and I think about this passage, uh, what overwhelms me is, is gratitude that, that some of you are sitting there next to real disciples and I've done life for 20 years with people like that. Men and women who when you get around them, they're, they're, they're a little bit threatening, you know, because you don't know what you have to do to get that way. But it's attractive. Something we admire. There's something about them that's beyond the ordinary because they're disciples. They've learned what it is to deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow Jesus. There are men and women whose primary questions in life are, Lord, what do you want me to know and and where do you want me to go? There are men and women and teenagers who wrestle with the real issues. They they wrestle with real issues. They refuse to check out of the process. And they don't want to just be church members and they don't want to just be children of God. They understand that it's about being a disciple. So you know what these people do? Because this church isn't so big that I don't know the patterns of, like, there are people that, like, we know each other. And I love spending time with people who are disciples and hearing what is true of your life. What what does your routine look like? What are the disciplines that you've added to your life? You know what? They find time in their busy schedules for other people. They're as busy and probably busier than you. Some of them have less money than you. Some of them have less resources than you. And yet, they understand that they can't pursue these things and exclude God's plan, His agenda. And somehow they're able to do their jobs and raise their kids and all these sorts of things. And yet somehow they refuse to let go of the fact that God has called them to be disciples. And beyond that, to make disciples, to make an impact on other people's lives. And that's what motivates me when I think about the strength and the health and the future of our church. It's those of you who are disciples. And and what I pray is, Lord Jesus, we don't want just more church members. We don't want to just put people in the seats. But Lord, raise up among us disciples, men and women and teenagers who are 
full-time, 24-7 disciples in terms of their attitude and their priority and their commitment. So here's my question. Have you been content to just be a child of God? Is it time that you take the next scary step? It's threatening, I know. And say, Lord Jesus, I want to be a disciple. I mean, I want to follow you. I'm all in. I want to be a learner. I want to be a follower. Not only do I want to learn, I want to do. And Lord, I'm I'm scared to death because I don't know what that means. But here's my life. And it's not that much. And, And honestly, I've kind of made a mess of some stuff. But here you go. You can do with it what you want. Here it is. Is it time for that in your life? Is it time to quit making excuses about how busy you are because, hey, we're all busy? We're all as busy as we want to be, and I don't even want to be around people who aren't busy because they annoy me. It's not about being busy. It's about prioritizing. It's about living life in an eternal perspective. It's about deciding that the priority of my life, the central element of my life, is to be a disciple of Jesus and to give my life to making disciples. And I'm not saying this because I'm the preacher, because this is what I'm supposed to say. This is about the people that you're sitting next to. And if I could bring them up here, but they would never want that. Because I, 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 I dare, I, I, trust me, they are busier. They don't have any more margin in their lives than you are. But this is what this church has got to be about. And that should be the heart and the strength of our church. Are we disciples? And are we involved in making disciples? And will we refuse to be content with anything less? The answer to that question is yes, and look out Hancock County, because I think we're just getting started. I think, I, 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 I think God's going to do something really significant. The answer to the question is, ah, mm, well, kind of. Well, not, well, today, but probably not tomorrow, because it's Monday, you know, and uh, not at work, because that's awkward, and not with that family member, or not with this friend. So, mm, not really. It's just a matter of time before we lose our focus and we lose our vision and we lose our purpose. And we're just going to be sweet, happy old people in a status quo church doing some good things, but who've lost sight of the main thing. Not interested in that. Try not to sugarcoat this. Being a disciple is going to cost you. Jesus said. Oh, oh, refusing to be a disciple is going to cost you a lot more. That's my prayer for all of us today. That if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're engaged in this process of following him, that you'll hang in there, that you'll stay faithful to that, that you'll show us how we can help you as a community of believers, that we can kind of link arms as we engage in this process of following Jesus. This lifelong thing. If you're not a disciple, maybe you're a believer. Maybe you have been for a while, but you would never say, oh yeah, I'm a disciple. Because uh, you're not a learner and you're not a follower and you're certainly not a leader. It's a time that you take that next step. I don't know exactly what that means for you, but when that's your heart's desire, God has this uncanny way of showing up and showing you the next step. So as we commit ourselves and surrender ourselves to being disciples of the Lord Jesus, let's make that the lifeblood, the driving force. Another good friend of mine uh, created this video a few years ago, uh, my friend Louis Giglio. And uh, I know you love Louis as much as I do. And uh, this is a little bit older video. I saw it first time a few years ago. Um, but watch this.
I'm not a real forward thinker and a forward planner, so I'm not one of these guys that's like, okay, God, i got to know all this stuff about everywhere I'm going to go in my life. I think God's done us a huge favor, and He said, one, your life's going to be fun. Uh, two, you're not going to know what's going to happen every day of your life, and so there's going to be an unfolding sense of creation going on in your life, and that's something you can look forward to. And uh, three, if you trust me, that won't freak you out. <laughs> if, uh, if you don't trust me and you don't connect to me, then you're going to spend a lot of energy trying to figure out how to get comfort with the fact that life changes and we don't really know how it's going to all turn out. I like the idea that life is a journey because it means that we're in process. And that's always, to me, as I read scripture, it seems like the process is more important to God than the ultimate destination. And we are destination thinkers. I think it's because we want to minimize our risks and we want to be comfortable. And so we need to know, where am I going? When am I going to get there? What's it going to look like? Who's going to be there? How much am I going to get paid when I get there? How long will I be there? Is this person going to be there? Blah, 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 blah. I think what God is saying is, hey, it's the journey that's the deal. Because it's what we learn in the process. It's what we see on the way. It's what you and I discover about each other on the way that makes this whole thing work. It's the journey in life that is life. And I think when we get to the end, wherever the end is for all of us, we're going to realize that the most precious thing we had was the journey. I think there are a couple of reasons why we struggle internally with this whole thing about where am I going with my life and I want to make sure my life counts. I think part of it is is that we're creating the image of God. And, you know, we can try to minimize that in our lives in a lot of different ways, but when you get right down to it, each one of us has a sense of eternity. The scripture says he's placed eternity in our hearts. And so there's something in me, it doesn't matter what I'm doing on this earth, I could be the most successful, the richest, the most prominent person in the worldly scheme of things, but still I've got ticking in me this eternal meter that's saying, is it, does this count? I mean, the most amazing thing to me is not so much the the young adult that's struggling with is it this career or this career. What I'm seeing now happen are people who've got it all. They've got the six-figure offer coming at them. They've got, you know, a, a path in life that looks like huge success coming at them, and they're going, but you know what? I don't think that's what I want to do. And they're bailing out of the, the stuff that, you know, 20 years ago somebody would have just said, oh, I, thank you, God. I'm going to be rich and successful and powerful and blah, 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 and so here I go. And uh, they're going, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go to India. And I'm going to have no money and no prominence and no position because I have this thing ticking inside of me called eternity. And I think that's one of the reasons why we struggle. I think the other side of that is that the world is continually trying to shape and mold us. And the world is cramming down our throats every day what significance is and what importance is and what success looks like. And typically, when you match that up against the heartbeat of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, you got two completely different things. What I love about Jesus is he called um, farmers, he called poor people, he called rich people, he called attorneys, he called doctors, he called politicians, he called uh, tax gatherers, he called common woodshop workers. And he, to him, it didn't matter what somebody's vocation or gifting was. Jesus was just interested in where their passion was. Jesus said that on these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, he said on these two things, all the law and all the prophets hinge. In other words, the whole system's kind of, you know, linked to this axiom, to this thought. And I don't think it's an oversimplification for me 
to say that my purpose in life and God's purpose for this life He's given me is to love Him and know Him, and as an overflow of that, to be an extension of His love to the people in this world. Um, it, it may sound a little spiritually simplistic to somebody who's wrestling with a big job change or a career move, or should I marry this person or not marry this person, but I think that usually for us, when we're stressed about decisions, and not all the time, but much of the time when we're stressed about decisions, all we have to do is sort of lift the hood up and ask the question, am I really loving God and, and seeking God with everything I've got? And as a result of that, is there something in the tank for me to give as an overflow, a genuine expression to the people around me? And most of the time, I think, when there's a tremendous amount of anxiety in, in, on the dashboard, it's because there's really not any kind of intimacy under the hood. I could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence, and I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something I'm
Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. 